guys, this is Nathan Cravat, and I am on location in Malaga, Spain, and I'm so excited because joining me today is Mike Peters, live and in person. Mike, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Nathan. Glad to be here with you. It's a privilege for me to just get to meet you and do this. Yeah, it's amazing that we met through the podcast. It's amazing how God is opening doors, and you're serving in, say the name of it? Sevilla. Sevilla, Spain. And heard the podcast and totally related. The very first episode, we read your story. That was way before we even had the technology to record. We need to get you to call back in and (laughs) share your story because you'll probably do a better job than we did trying to read it. I think Brian absolutely butchered Sevilla, (laughs) but you're like in Selville, Spain. That sounds like a town in Alabama or something like that. That's all right. We'll forgive him. him. (laughs) But your story impacted a lot of people, and I can't tell you how many of your friends have joined in and started listening and you've helped us promote the podcast so we really appreciate that so the reason i am here today in malaga spain right on the mediterranean coast and we are actually tell us where we're at what is this location so we're literally sitting on the coast of uh, the mediterranean in malaga spain and we're sitting in a castle called castillo del ibalfaro and if you look at that, it looks like Gibraltar. For those of you who the, the pronunciation in Spanish sounds funny, but it's overlooking the ocean, the Mediterranean rather, and then it's also overlooking the city. We're way up high on this castle, and on the backside of the castle is mountains. Mountains. So yes. I'm going to post some of these pictures and maybe even some video uh, on our Facebook page. And this is just absolutely paradise. We are here at 76 degrees, nice gentle breezes blowing. We've got the ocean, we've got the castles, we've got the beautiful city of Malaga, and then the mountains, and perfectly sunny day, not a cloud in the sky, man. God is good. He is good, and it's funny because you you come here, and you're visiting a missionary here in this city, and you're like, this guy's not a real missionary. This is not. (laughs) Suffering for Jesus, baby. He's not. This doesn't count. No mud huts here, no dirt floors. Yeah, and I was telling you this morning, I had this picture as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old boy in an independent Baptist church of a missionary sharing, and I was actually scared that God was going to call me and force me to be a missionary, and I pictured myself out in the middle of some desert living in like a, (laughs) maybe like a mud hut, and, you know, having 47 kids and this mean old wife that was, you know, just, I just had this horrible image of what it looked like to serve yes. Jesus. And yet here I'm with you and you're, you're two hours from here serving right. Jesus in the middle of uh, Spain and God is blessing your ministry. The church is growing. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt the same way when I heard missionaries come through our church as a kid. And when I felt burdened to be a missionary, to be a really, you know, pastor, plant the church and pastor in a foreign context, you know, well, does that mean that my wife and kids and I are all going to have matching clothes. We're all going to play an instrument, travel and sing together. I think that's, uh, that is what it means, actually. You know, and I'm not even fully credited, credible for being a missionary because I only have three kids. Oh, man. That's, that doesn't, it's rookie. You need to get busy, it's dude. It's rookie level. <laughs> um, but no, for those of you listening, I mean, in, in all honesty, we're actually in the process of adopting as well two little girls from the country of Liberia, West Africa. That's awesome. Uh, I have, we have three boys, my wife and I, Jen. Three boys, Jack, Oliver, and Henry. They're 10, 8, and 5. And so then we're going to adopt. We're in the process of adopting right now. So that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. So in some other awesome news, 
from your perspective, as far as your ministry is concerned, we have Isaiah here with us today. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about him and what he's going to be transitioning into doing. Yeah, he and his wife, uh, they just arrived yesterday in to Sevilla, and they're just going to spend the next two weeks with us, just kind of getting to know ministry life and practical life uh, as far as living here with the intention of planting churches. And after they just started deputation about a month ago, and once they finish doing their fundraising, uh, they are going to come join us here at our church in Sevilla, and hopefully we'll be able to help them transition into the culture and ministry here, but also then help them plant a church as well. That's awesome. Well, man, it is really good to be here with you. We have flown thousands of miles, and just to give a little context, I'm, yeah. I'm on my way to a missions trip in Nepal, and you can't just get on an airplane and fly straight to Nepal no. unless you have about $20,000 to drop into it. So we got the cost way down by doing seven or eight layovers on the way over, and one one uh, of our legs had to be like a, a 24-hour layover, and so we ended up being able to route it through Malaga, Spain, mm-hmm. so we could connect. And so I'm on the way to do missions work uh, in on the continent of Asia, yeah. and you are here doing missions work in Spain. And I know we shared your story, yeah. a very small snippet of your story, through an email on our first podcast, and we weren't even able to read all that. So can we, in the opening here, go ahead and let you just share from your perspective, and you can, you know, go as fast or as slow as you want yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Just give us a little, uh, for maybe people who haven't, had a chance to listen to that yet just share part of your story with us to see how you got from where you were in legalism to Mm -hmm. where you're at today serving jesus and freedom in spain yeah yeah absolutely man and it's really been a god thing a god-ordained um uh, journey adventure because i would have never guessed this to have happened to us looking back six seven years ago um basically i mean we we started raising money to move to spain to plant churches in 2011 and we only tried to connect with churches that were independent fundamental Baptists, King James only, etc. And uh, there's a lot of great people in in that swath of Christianity, but it is very small, comparatively speaking, to the rest of Christendom. So, but even in that small swath, you know, we visited almost 300 churches in the process of about three years all over the U.S., and we were in 30 different states in about three years' time, and there were so many vast differences between independent fundamental Baptist churches Mm -hmm. that we weren't even aware of. You know, we'd get to a different church, and they'd have a different, you know, independent fundamental Baptist church, they'd have a different dress style, a different style of music, etc., and we'd just be shocked at, wait, you're independent Baptist too? (laughs) I thought everybody did it like us. And we were blown away by the, the, the variety there. So it really forced us to step back and try to review some of the things we thought were so sacred from a scriptural viewpoint versus just a blind, uh, taking it by blind faith that whatever our tradition says, this is what, what God wants us to do. So as we began to make that, you know, look at the word and find out from the Bible what those things were, we were obviously continuing to still go through deputation, fundraising, um, And then we realized towards the end of our journey in 2013 that a lot of the things we thought were so radically important did not connect to the gospel at all. It had nothing to do with the gospel. Not only did it not connect with the gospel, but doesn't connect with scripture. Well, of course. Yes, (laughs) that too. (laughs) So, I mean, these were were extra-biblical things. And and and, and if somebody wants to have, and I want to add this in too, you know, if somebody has an extra-biblical standard, we all have standards. I have standards. You have standards. Yeah. But it's when you try to preach your extra-biblical standard as if it's a biblical standard, mandating it upon me and condemning me if I don't copy you. So, um, so we, we, we reviewed these things and realized, man, these, this isn't in the Bible. Yeah. 
And so, but the, th the thing was, we, we ha our circle of churches was so small that we didn't know who to talk to about it. So we just said, well, we're not even sure that we're right. Maybe we're just stupid and don't know what we're talking about. Let's just keep... We're heretics. We're heretics. Let's just keep our <laughs> mouth shut and maybe, you know, God will change our mind. So we came to Spain and then tried to do ministry in a European context, which honestly just exacerbated the situation for us because not only were so many of the things we practiced in our old home church, etc., cetera, uh, extra-biblical things, they were also cultural things, mm -hmm. cultural Christianity. It wasn't biblical Christianity. It wasn't wrong, yeah. but it wasn't biblical. So, you know, if, if I'm coming over here to do ministry in a foreign context, foreign to me, over here in Europe, and I'm trying to replicate an American model of church and Christian life, that's insanity. Yeah. I don't want to produce American Christians. I want to produce Jesus-following Christians over here. Um, which is kind of a redundant statement, uh, Jesus-following Christians. but uh, I think it's necessary to say things <laughs> to like define that. because yeah. christian means so much today it means yeah. so many it's very broad so to, i want people to be jesus followers not you know uh, cultural american christians so we get here and we realize man some of the stuff we thought is actually just not biblical at all what do we do well we lived with that tension of pretending to be one thing not by choice but just by you know i think god sovereignly ordained it this way that we would experience it like we did but um, just dealing with that tension, that cognitive dissonance of, you know, I don't believe the way my home church and supporters think I should be believing, but I'm not sure how to tell them while simultaneously, you know, being able to provide for my family because I know the minute I open my mouth, I'll be branded yeah. a heretic because I've seen it happen before several times, at least in our, in our context. Um, the fear of man was radically powerful yeah. for us, especially for me. And I want to talk about that later on because that God is dealing with me. me he dealt with me on fear of man then. He dealt with me. Uh, he's dealing with me about the fear of man right now in other areas too. But so because we were afraid, I was afraid. I just, you know, kept silent for, for about five years and then just got to this breaking point of, you know, we planted a church in a neighborhood in the northern part of Spain called Macarena. Yes. I've heard of that. The, yes. the song namesake. Uh, you know, hey, Macarena. That. So did you have to learn the dance to pastor there? I tried to make that our theme song at the church. Nobody really got on board. <laughs> but I bet that's gotten really old and cliche in that They town. think it's old and cliche. I still think it's funny, but whatever. <laughs> so we planted a church there with uh, two other uh, families in 2016. And everything really came to the came to a head for us in 2018 when I realized, you know, I'm not going to preach extra biblical standards as if they were biblical mandates to these people. Yeah. I can't do that. In good conscience, standing before God as a pastor who will give account for how I cared for God's church, and it's God's church, not my church. Um, so I had I, it hit me that man, what God thinks and says about how I'm pastoring and leading is way more important than anybody who's sending me a few hundred bucks yeah. each month. So in 2018, we resigned from our sending church and mission board. And let's pause right there. Tell us what that means. Like that's a significant decision for you. Yeah. Right? All of the money that comes to you is funneled through this missions board. Through this missions board. Yeah. With the missions board actually being a, a ministry of our sending church. Okay. So it was all tied in very local to that one church. So your whole income stream, 
existence, our relational your profession, relation, friends, family, uh, your roots and church family. Yeah. yeah, I do want you to talk about that uh, because that's a significant part of your story. But you are you are taking a radical step of faith, leap of faith mm. that had some significant ramifications for your day to day life. Yeah, yeah, and and it, it really did. I mean, we just. You know, so we just to kind of, I guess, give you the bullet point version. I mean, I called in the spring of 2018, resigned from our ascending church missions board. And then in the process of about two to three months after that, we had 70 supporting churches. And in about two or three months, it dropped down to six supporting churches. You know, while we're on the field, while we're trying to do ministry, um, I had one guy out of all those churches, one guy uh, graciously give me some kind of a severance package for a whole year's support and say, brother, God bless you, but, you know, we're just different. Yeah. Here's a whole year's support to help your family. Wow. 95% of the rest of them were, you're a heretic, you're a venomous snake, you're a liar, there's no hope for your kids. Yeah. And this wasn't just our home church pastor, which he said that. He said, my wife should never have married me. But it was other churches that I had no real ties to outside of being a missionary supported by them, you know, reaching out to me and going, hey, you're terrible. So, you know, family, friends, guys that were, you know, I was in their wedding, they were in mine, calling me up going, dude, what's wrong with you? You know, who do you think you are? All this stuff. So emotionally, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, for me, I guess just as a husband, father, you know, feeling that weight of trying to provide for the family, that freaked me out the most. And again, we're back to this whole fear of man concept. Um, because that summer of 2018, I, 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 I got physically sick because I was so, mm. I just so scared about our future. Yeah. You know, I got three boys. How am I going to take care of them? I have a wife, you know, what, what are we going to do? So God in his graciousness <laughs> has always made a way as he does yeah. Jehovah Jireh. That's the God, my provider. And you'd think I'd learned this by now that he is the provider without being afraid and trying to control things myself. But, you know, we're Americans. We live in a very Spanish city uh, in Sevilla. Very traditional city, by the way. I mean, the epitome of Spanish culture and tradition. Yeah. You know, which legalism is no respecter of religions. It's everywhere. Truth. And it's it seriously... Our rules are just different. They're just different. Yeah. yeah. But it's the same attitude, the same spirit of performance-based you know, Christianity, performance-based behavior. It's amazing that the cultural shift from a Southern American mm. independent Baptist legalism where you don't dance, you don't, you know, mm. listen to rock and roll, you don't drink alcohol, you don't, you know, run around with people that do that, mm. all the way to uh, Catholic, yes. uh, European, Spanish tradition where yes. they're dancing, they're drinking alcohol, they're doing a lot of the things that we would never do, yet they're, they have their own set of it's rules. It's the same spirit of legalism. Exactly, the and they just change the rules, legalism. and then you're, if you're I mean, outside of their boundaries, then... Think about it like this. The Spanish Inquisition started in 1492 as a way to protect the peninsula of Spain from another uh, Arabic invasion, right? So the Catholic Church launched this. It was based in Sevilla for a time. Really? Like we were the one, oh, we, I say we. <laughs> Sevilla was the city, the place that was leading the way, you know, to the inquisitors, to, to defend the quote unquote faith by literally murdering loads of people who were not, who were either, you know, uh, unbelievers, pagans, or Jews. And any, any, even any Catholics that were suspicious, yeah. 
you know, we're going to kill you too. Uh, if you don't conform to our, the way we think church and religious life and Christianity should yeah. be done, we will, we'll destroy you. Um, so that, and that was, you know, back then. So, but even now, I mean, like up April's coming up is going to be Holy Week, Easter week. And literally in our city, this is the most, um, popular, uh, 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 traditional religious event all year long in our city for an entire week. Uh, there will be processions like parades, if you will, mm -hmm. all day and all night of people carrying wooden crosses, walking barefoot, dressed in outfits that look like KKK uniforms with pointy hats and everything. No joke. No joke. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's where the KKK got it from. Perhaps. I, perhaps that is. But Someone this, visited Europe and thought, man, that looks cool. <laughs> it's, it's still creepy, even though I know the story behind it. But if you just Google uh, Holy Week uh, in Sevilla, Spain, you can see the, the photos of what I'm talking about. But people will walk through the streets carrying these things, you know, and, and this has been going on for over 500 years literally over five is a 500 year old tradition wow and i and i'll go out at night w uh, during these processions with some of my friends and and they'll ask me to come watch with them because it's very to them it's very special and i, I asked one of my buddies i said bro why do you you know are, are you i mean are you religious i mean do you enjoy this and he's like no i'm an atheist i said well then why is this so important to you it's tradition. It's what I grew up doing. Yeah. But he's an atheist, <laughs> openly. Yeah. You know, and so talk about tradition and legalism and a spirit of, of man-pleasing and performance. It's here. Yeah. And it knows nothing of IFB. Mm -hmm. But it's still the same spirit. So anyhow, so we live in that kind of a city. But back to my narrative, my story, just as Americans, all of our neighbors think it's so cool that we live in their neighborhood. You know, they, oh, there's Americans that live here. This is so neat. So there's some uh, ladies in our neighborhood that met my wife, made friends, and asked her to start teaching their kids English. And at first, my wife was reluctant. She's like, well, I'm not passionate about that. But, I mean, I guess if we need the money, sure. So, again, this is God taking care of me, providing for me through my <laughs> wife. That's awesome. Uh, so she started an English academy. And when I say academy, I use the term very loosely. It's like we're singing and dancing and doing crafts and games in English for an hour. And my wife right now currently, have, it's been about a year and a half, uh, has about 150 kids in our house every week from the neighborhood. Wow. Yes. Dude, that is a ministry, it dude. Is, wow. It is. It is literally. That is amazing. Yeah, when you said small, I, I thought you meant just, you know, five or six It started kids. out five or six, but then the word spread. And, and this is very old world culture over here. You know, it, the, things like social media, um, internet marketing is a very new concept yeah. compared to America. So word of mouth is still the best form of, of getting the message out. So these women in our neighborhood started talking and, you know, word got round. And after a few months, we had to really organize something. Um, so my wife's uh, ministry slash academy of English has, if it wasn't for that, we couldn't afford to live here. Yeah since we lost so much support. I mean, God's graciously connected us with other churches since then that have picked us up in partnership, not just financially, which I know that's part of it, but relationally. Yeah. Brothers and sisters in Christ who are arm in arm, like we're doing this kingdom battle together, you know? And that's a real thing in, it's supposed to be a real thing in Christian culture across the supposed board. Supposed to be. But being, you know, ostracized, kicked out of, one culture. This is a real thing for us as recovering fundamentalists mm. that I was starving 
for that kind of connection. And when you yeah. heard the podcast for the first time, dude, you reached out to us and sent us this really yeah. long email, yeah. and you're like, "Bro, we're on the same page." Yeah. And you, we've connected, yeah. like on the phone through text messaging, you know, all, and being able to sit here with you. And I know you and Brian have connected. I also know there are some churches that are wanting to take you guys on for support just mm-hmm. through your story that they heard. They're like, "Man, that's the kind of guy we want to help." So, I mean, this really is a community. It, bro, it is. It is a community, and that word needs to be more said more often within the church as a whole. I think like the church, Big C Church, and yeah. trigger warning, I, I believe in the invisible church yes. as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, Me too. <laughs> uh, but we, we, we stink at community. We stink at vulnerability. We stink at accountability. And people are hungry for that, man. Like one of the most effective ways we've found to be able to reach out and minister and, and witness has been through breaking bread at our dining room table. We have people in there that are engineers, that are lawyers, that are medical professionals. The principal of my kid's school comes over to our house, eats a meal with us, we sit around and talk for four or five hours. I am able to share the gospel more clearly with them than I ever had in any other context in my life. You know, because they're looking for authentic outlets of community. Yeah. People who are real. And, you know, we get, because we're right now we're in a house church model because that's just what God's led us into at the moment for the time being. And we regularly have three or four non-believing people that come to church on Sunday. That's and they verbally said, I'm not a Christian, but I sense something here yeah. that is very family, that is very community-esque, that is very uh, real, <laughs> and I want to continue yeah. to come. And so that's kind of what ministry has looked like for us. Um, yeah, so that, I hope that kind of answers a bit of your question. Yeah, so you transitioned out at great cost to yourself, but God provided, mm. and your family transitioned, and you guys are still here. How long have you been on the field? We've been, this December will be, will be seven years. Okay. So. Well, that's an incredible story, and I know that's going to help a lot of people. I, I believe there are people out there who are still walking this, or still in the beginning stages yeah. of saying, you know, I've never had the courage to admit this before, but this is, the focus is off. This, right. Yeah, and, and that's kind of something, if you don't mind me just adding on to this, you know, talk about, I'm going to speak from my own personal perspective. I don't want to broad brush. I don't want to assume. But, you know, this, the culture, and, and I think Brian mentioned this a while back and said it so well that living in IFB uh, world is, is a language that nobody else really understands, you know, but then the way it affects you because you're just so, you're brought up in that world, you start to live, well, you do live your life in a very performance-based way, based upon the fear of man. Like, you know, um, and again, like I said, we have standards, but my emphasis is not on the standards. My emphasis is on the Savior, Yeah. you know, and he does so much more. The Holy Spirit does so much more to change me from the inside out than a standard could ever do, Mm -hmm. you know, so that, and that's the problem. Have a standard, that's fine, but that's not your Savior. When that becomes your focus... And something's off. And I've said before, what, one of the reasons why I'm not an independent fundamental Baptist anymore is because I feel like the focus is off. So much more time in the pulpit is given to standards and opinions than was given to the Word of God and true doctrine and theology. So that's one of the, that was one of the breaking points for me. Mm-hmm. And when you experience and taste true ministry and true Bible doctrine, expository teaching, you don't ever want to go back to... And, and, true, and truly understanding that God loves you yeah. in spite of your brokenness. Yeah. That's so hard for us to believe. 
that God would love me in spite of how broken I am. The parts of me that nobody else knows about, you know, not even my best friends, right? God knows. And he still says, I love you. Come home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I want you. And that's like, what, really, really? And the more you embrace that, the more you're going to see yourself following hard after Jesus. Yeah. One of the marks of, I believe, and this isn't a slam because I know we have a lot of independent Baptists listening and thank you sure. for listening. If you're, if you're hanging in there with us, even if you're listening because you want to see what kind of heretics we are, thank you for listening and we're glad you're here. But I'll just tell you from my experience, one of the marks of the IFB world is that there was this plastic kind of mask mm-hmm. that we like to wear. There's not a lot of vulnerability. That no. is not celebrated, but I have found that in Christ. And I'll just share today. I've got one of my buddies, Jamie Morgan, here with me, and mm-hmm. uh, he was sharing his story with you guys. And he's got yeah, a, wow. you know, he's got a, a broken story. He's got passed with addiction and things yeah, like that. Yeah, and yeah. God opened the doors. Awesome story how God opened the door for him to be on this trip with me. And I'm discipling him and sharing with him. And he opened to share his story this morning. And then we all started ser- sharing some of our struggles. Yeah. And that is how Christianity should be. There's no point in Christianity where I become the savior and I'm the one that everybody needs to look like. Right. No, we're always pointing people to Jesus because yes. we're all broken. Yes. And, and honestly, if you look at Galatians six, uh, and if you read the book of Galatians, that'll wreck you, uh, with the gospel truth. In a great way. In a great way. <laughs> yeah. But it says, you know, you're supposed to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So how am I supposed to bear your burdens if I don't know what they are? Yeah. And if, how are you supposed to bear mine if I keep my mouth shut? Mm-hmm. But again, this ties back into what I mentioned earlier, this whole culture of based on performance and fear of man. Um, Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says, the fear of man brings a snare or a trap, but whoso trusts in the Lord finds safety. And I even love the Spanish translation, trigger warning, uh, a little bit better than the English <laughs> because it literally reads in Spanish, the fear of man is a noose around your neck. Wow. All right, a noose around your neck. But whoever trusts in God finds safety. And that's so accurate, man. Yeah. Because, you know, and, and, we, and I'm still struggling with this. I'm mm-hmm. going to be honest here right now on the show. I struggle with the fear of man. And it has really hurt me. It's hurt my family. It's hurt relationships that I treasure. Mm-hmm. Right? And even within the past week, I'm not even going to lie. In the past week, I've been able to restore broken relationships finally after years of, you know, distance. Praise the Lord. Because my fear kept me from opening my mouth and becoming vulnerable with those people. And I love them and thank God for them, you know, but, but, but just to kind of, uh, reiterate that idea that this idea of performance-based Christianity leads to a lifestyle of hiding and non-vulnerability. And I grew up like that as a kid. I was the Christian kid that dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, went to all the youth events, all the extra things at church. You're the poster child. I was the poster child, (laughs) you know, and but when I was with my buddies, I was a totally different person. You get, when, when, when you're living in a performance-based environment where there's fear of man and fear of not performing to, according to the social uh, uh, expectations, you become an expert at hiding and lying. Mm-hmm. And when you hide and you lie, there is no room for the church community, the tool that God has ordained to, to, to inject the gospel into the culture, to, to, to preach that you, when you're when you're hiding from your church from your your community your brothers in Christ how are they going to inject gospel into your broken parts when you are just putting on a facade and wearing a mask yeah. you know so you know hiding you know um, from the care of the church and trying to deal with it on my own and and, I, and then you know you get this pattern where 
you know, there's hiding in the church and it leads to moral, relational, and spiritual failure and disaster. These uh, 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 sexual scandals or money scandals don't just happen. They're, they're an outflow of gospel emptiness, you know? And it doesn't happen overnight. It truly is a slow fade that we drift off. Sorry, into. Ryan. <laughs> uh, but it really, it really is. And and um, anyway, so just that that's something I had dealt with. And and just being in the IFB, you know, I think, and I want to just say this too, you know, uh, this performance based environment, it fostered my hiding and my 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 struggles. And I'm tired of politicking. I was actually just messaging with a potential supporter uh, the other day on Facebook Messenger. And I sensed, you know, just a little bit of, you know, and, and it's fine. I mean, if I was him, I would have been a bit cautious because he doesn't know me. Sure. He, he reached out and graciously, which is good. But I sensed something and I'm like, bro, I want to be an open book. I'm done politicking. I- I'm coming to realize my relevance in God's kingdom and I'm embracing it. Mm-hmm. So I have nothing to hide from you. If you don't feel comfortable partnering with us, God bless you, man. Yeah. God bless you. We'll continue to fight the good fight together. But uh, I'm done. Because that hiding spills over into your marriage. It spills over into your church, you know, and it causes you to live in a sense of denial where you just, oh, I'm fine. I got this. I don't have to talk about it. I can win the battle on my own. No, you can't. When you become toxic on the inside, you cannot minister and serve in a ministry context or in a, which I I think every part of life falls into ministry context to me. I used to subdivide my life into (laughs) ministry and worship and There's no subdivision. Yeah, there is no division. It's every part of your life is either as worship to God or it's idolatry. And so when we try to segregate those parts of our life, it, it just doesn't work because when you're toxic on the inside, it affects every relationship you have. It affects everything from how you drive to work to how you interact with your wife and your kids to how you share your faith. So, yeah, yeah. I think that is, that's a really important point when we start talking about it's, what's, if you have a car and you put the wrong thing in the tank, it's not going to be okay because you have a great paint job. It matters what's on the inside. And it's the same way with us and our faith. Yeah, man. And like, and I'll ask, I'll be a little blatant, you know, right now for those of y'all that are listening, I just want to be real with you. Ask yourself right now, if you have a place, a community, a group, a few brothers and si- or sisters in Christ, you know, and use wisdom there, of course, but that you can go to when you're weak and say, bro, I'm weak. I'm struggling with X, Y, Z. I mean, seriously, those of y'all listening, how, how, when was the, who, who do you know in your life that you could go to and say, I'm struggling with temptation towards pornography right now? Who hmm. is there someone? And if not, why not? You know, uh, I'm struggling with anger, uh, uh towards my spouse. I'm struggling with, you know, some kind of addiction of some sort. You should feel like there is someone or someone's different persons you could go to and say, this is my battle. Help me through it. And they're not going to condemn you because they know that the gospel pulled them out of it just like it's going to pull you out. So they have no right. You're not afraid, to be honest. What could you possibly confess to them that the blood of Christ is not already covered? Amen. That's, That's a great point. And when we hide our sin... Sin in the dark thrives. It's, yes. it's like a fungus. It thrives in the dark. When you bring it out into the light, into the sunshine, it kills it. When we hide our sin, for example, uh, I have a friend who for years struggled with this relationship at work with a female coworker, mm. and uh, they were in a legitimate friendship. 
relationship, working together, couldn't, you know, it was something that, that had to happen. But then they started having these feelings. And instead of coming to our men's group and being like, dude, I'm struggling mm. with these things mm. and talking to a buddy or going to your pastor and saying, man, I love my wife, but I just, I don't know where these feelings are coming from. I'm thinking about this person and being able to deal with it. He hit it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, five years later, they fall into sin. Two marriages are broken. Kids are destroyed. Lives are messed up. To this day, I'm seeing repercussions from that. And I know this guy was in a Bible study mm-hmm. with Christian brothers that would have looked at him and said, yeah, I've struggled with that too. But mm-hmm. dude, you got to kill it. You got to yes. get out of that relationship. Yes. If it means leaving that job, if it means whatever, you've got to fight for your marriage. And he could have avoided that whole disaster if yeah. he had been transparent. So I, I, I hear your heart calling brothers and sisters to a life of transparency. I don't care if you stay in the IFB church here. Go for it. You know, yes, stay there. We're not fine. trying to convert people and, out of that. We want people to experience authentic Christianity. And and even so, and I'll go even a step further to those of y'all who are ministry leaders, men and women who are ministry leaders. You're leading. And if you want people to be vulnerable, why don't you lead with vulnerability? Lead. Again, you have to use wisdom. Don't get me wrong. Maybe someone's not equipped to hear about the weight of your struggle. Find someone who is, but be vulnerable with folks, and they'll see that model before them, and then they will follow suit as you're leading. We never saw that. I never saw that growing up in in the IFB church. All the leaders in our church were untouchable, and anyone that questioned was automatically condemned as rebellious. Yeah. You think they? you're raised to believe they have this special access, special connection to God that's so far beyond anything we've ever experienced. And now that I'm on the other side of the ministry and I'm the one that's studying and preaching sermons and yeah. you know, leading a church, there, there is no special category of saint on this Dude. earth. We're all saints. We've been, we're covered by yes. the blood of Christ. That's yes. the only reason Amen. we can call ourselves saints. And we need help too. And one of the most lonely places is in the ministry yes. and as a pastor and you're a pastor we yeah. we have to fight for connection well, with brothers and sisters and it's bro and you do have to fight for it because it's not going to come naturally because people you know by default will look at you as a spiritual leader and they will by default not even intentionally set you on a pedestal yeah. outside the care of the flock mm-hmm. you are still a sheep i am still a sheep yeah. i need care from within the flock as well um and by the way, a little shameless plug for one of my favorite books, if you're a ministry leader, um, uh, A Dangerous Calling by Paul Tripp. Awesome book, uh, yes. Please read it, read it again, and read it again. Um, we need more vulnerability in leadership because, you know, and this is the thing, you see a guy who's in leadership or a lady who's in leadership, and then they have this major failure. We well, you know how many people were looking towards them and now have become affected by that. And I'm not trying to put undue pressure. But that is the just the reality of the the weight that a ministry leader carries. So, and uh, we let's let's deal with this. We a lot of times feed into that as pastors because we love the approval, we love the acceptance, we, oh man, and we love the pats on the back. And, yeah, bro, that was a good sermon. Yeah. And we don't want to be vulnerable in front of people. But I can't tell you how hard I fought for this in my ministry that I do share things from the pulpit about my struggles even that week because I think that keeps a real taste in people's mouths of, hey, this guy is a human. This Mm -hmm. guy still struggles with sin, and he's pointing us to Jesus, and we love him for that, but he's a man. And if if I ever reach a point, and I pray I never dishonor God or my family by falling into great open sin, Mm -hmm. but if I ever reach that point, I don't want to be in some position where I'm on this pedestal where people are like, I never saw that coming. Well, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me after a sermon and said, 
I've never heard a pastor share something yes. like that. I yes. can't believe that you said that you struggle with that. And I said, why can't you believe that? Because I'm human. So we, a lot of times, feed into that as pastors and yeah. missionaries and spiritual leaders. And we need to be really careful not to enjoy or allow other people or even build our own and, platform. And think about this, too. Think about when you talk to a non-Christian person, like in relation to what you're saying right now. And I actually wrote this down. You know, what do most non-believers think that God is... Why do, why do most non-believers think that God or the church is only about rules? You know, why? Because the church has portrayed God as such through fear and abuse. Yeah. You know, and, and so instead of coming off as this guy who's got it all together, because people naturally assume the pastor, well, he's mm-hmm. ninja level Christian, you know, being real and going, hey, bro, I'm broken. And only the grace of God is what I have to rejoice in. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. People are going to look at that and go, dude, that's attractive. Yeah, it is. Jesus is attractive. And you don't have to have, and the people will automatically assume, you know, oh, you leave IFB. Well, that's because you just want to be a compromiser and you want to have big numbers in your church. If that's the case, I am doing it really backwards. Yes, we're doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong <laughs> because, you know, it, it, trying to be relevant and all that stuff, that is not it at all. It is putting the gospel as preeminent above all things. The message of Christ as preeminent above all things. And people, when you when they see that and they're they're seeing God's love manifested through gospel living from the church, mm-hmm. you know, they're gonna go, hey, that's that's different, that's attractive. I'm 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 drawn towards that. What did Jesus tell his disciples? By this will all men know you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. Not because of your standards, not because of your you know, whatever tradition, et cetera, that you, you think is so important, your not labels. because of your <laughs> trigger warning, not because of your Bible version. Yeah. Okay. No, because you have love one for another love within the church. Yeah. You know, I had a non-believing, uh, 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 middle-aged man, Jewish in our service recently. And I was talking about how the church has dropped the ball on loving each other. Mm. You know, and how people, they get disillusioned with the church because church people can tend to be some of the meanest people there are. That is the truth. You know? <laughs> no doubt. And this guy's a non-Christian Jewish person. In the middle of my sermon, he goes, well, yeah, exactly. That's why I don't go to church. <laughs> you know? I'm like, bro, I'm with, I hear you. I hear you. Welcome home. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> you know? So when are we going to realize that... You know, and I love how Paul puts it. Out of all the gifts that the Holy Spirit has imparted to the church, the best thing we can do is love other people. You know, be be that catalyst of God's love tangibly to each other in the world around us. But when I'm in a competition with you about who looks more holy, yeah, who has more standards, love is not on my mind. Yeah, I don't care about you. I just want to outdo you. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Anyway, I'm ranting. No, you're right on point with what we (laughs) wanted to talk about. And that transitions us right into the next thing I wanted to ask you about. And we'll close out with this because we're reaching the end of our time. Wanted to ask you practically, Mm. how does it play out in your life since you've transitioned from where you would have called yourself a legalist Mm -hmm. to how you serve Jesus now, how you lead your family, how you lead your church, and how you operate as a missionary? Practically, what does that look like in your life? Well, I mean, I think it ties in a lot with what you said is there's no subdividing. Like everything is connected to the gospel. Everything's going to be done in light of the gospel. And when I say the gospel, I'm talking about the person and work of Christ and the implications that that has on my life. You know, Jesus is not just the door. He's the whole way. Mm. He is the door and the way. Yeah. 
And you don't just roll your sleeves up after you cross through the threshold of salvation. You know, after you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit, you don't roll your sleeves up and go, all right, now it's time to work really hard. No, you keep your eyes on Christ and those fruits flow out of you yeah. naturally. Um, so, And that scares a lot of people because they say, oh, he just said that you don't do any more work after you get saved. Nope. You just live however you want to. That's not what not you said. Not at all. The Holy Spirit works through you. He produces fruit. You walk humbly. You walk in obedience. But you are led to a place that is a lot more holy than a place of trying to work and earn it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, practically speaking, door knocking is not a thing. You know, going out and uh, street evangelism. I mean, you can do it. I'm not saying it's wrong. Yeah. As far as his effectiveness. You're not preaching on the street corner? No. The bullhorn? <laughs> no. There's some guys in That's our church. That's still a thing. There's some guys in our church who would love to do that. And, and we, we, we might do something similar. Not necessarily like that, but just go out and hand out literature in the street and just try to talk to people. Yeah. Which, that's fine. That can that's be fine. healthy. It can. Depending on how you do it. Exactly. But as I said earlier, you know, the most effective evangelistic tool we've seen as a family uh, has been breaking bread uh, with non-believing people uh, and Christian people as well um, in our home. Yeah. You know, and, and even and also, too, practically speaking, with building that sense of family and community in the church every Sunday after the service, we do a, a English service at 11 and a Spanish service at 12, 15 uh, and then around 1 32 p.m., all of us eat lunch together. That's amazing. All of us. Everybody brings a dish. Uh, my wife typically makes the main thing, the main dish, and we break bread together. And normally people are at our house on Sunday until 8, 9 p.m. in the evening. That's very typical. Wow. Uh, Sundays are long, but they're beautiful because it gets real. It gets deep. I mean, we might have church, have lunch, uh, chill out play some board games for a bit, but then conversations inevitably swing back into real life, nitty gritty, big questions about people's future and about their relationships. Yeah. And it's more opportunity just to go, man, insert Jesus into this yeah. situation right now, insert the gospel right here. And that has been that life on life, uh, uh, uh discipleship. Um, it's very unconventional, man. It's, and I don't want to sound like too much of a hippie, but it's it's really organic. Yeah. Uh, and and people are blessed by that, and they've been helped by that. Um, for us, I mean, like my wife right now, she's with uh, Isaiah's wife and one of the ladies from our church, and they're hanging out with a woman who owns a scrapbooking store in our city. How cool is that? How cool is it? <laughs> yes. I mean, really random. Like, oh, I thought Americans were the only ones that scrapbook. Well, maybe. This woman lived in the States for a while. She's Spanish, moved back here. And now Jen's spending loads of time with her, right? Um, my wife has started the English Academy, which, again, we kind of freaked out that we lost all our support. But we were forced into this. And I think, I, I don't think, rephrase, I swear God sovereignly organized it this way because now we are a household name in our community. That's cool. Everybody knows the Peters family. They know that Mike's a pastor. They know that they do church there. They know that they, they talk about Jesus, but that's because the English Academy was a catalyst to connect us to that community. And originally coming over here, that wasn't even a part of the It wasn't picture. even a thought. Yeah. So you know? God is sovereign and he knows Dude, how to well, lead yeah. his children. Yes. And then on top of that, my wife, she loves, uh, I'm talking about her a lot. She's, I'm her biggest fan. Uh, <laughs> she started an organizing business uh, where she goes in and helps people declutter and, you know, streamline their life. 
She's been able to spend literally hours with a lawyer's wife this last week in her home, talking about life, talking about Jesus, while my wife organizes her house. That's you know? amazing. Like, what other context would that happen? Yeah. You know, and this is a practical outflow. And, and like you said, when you don't subdivide the gospel, this is a churchy thing. No, it's a life thing. Yeah. And you bring the gospel into every aspect of life, you will see Jesus being able to touch the people that you thought were untouchable. Yeah. And that for us, we're, we're still surprised by it on a day-to-day basis, uh, how God brings more of those opportunities in ways we never would have thought And the thing that, that makes me think as a pastor and this is exciting, like I'm sitting here with ideas going through my head. Everything you're doing here as a missionary, I can do at home in my neighborhood. We, we have no secret formula yeah. over here. People, people in yeah. my, our church can begin to live as missionaries at home, and we should. All yes. Christians are missionaries or should be yes. missionaries. So we can start scrapbooking with people, start <laughs> you know inviting people yes. over to our house. Yes. And uh, that just gives me some ideas of what it I, looks like to be a Christian. And, and as far as for me, like, I mean, I, I, I like to go to the gym. I think it's enjoyable. Uh, uh, I still eat pretty, uh, I don't know, I eat pretty bad here and there. But well, It's uh, either eat right or eat how you want and then go to the gym. Yeah, it's a justification. A thing. few people take it and they do, but they go <laughs> they to the gym both and they the eat time. right. And just, we hate those people. They're they're, they get paid to do that. I'm not paid to do that. But, but meeting friends at the gym, working out with them, talking about Christ. Yeah. Because I met some guy twice my age at the gym and I'm able to share the gospel with yeah. him. You know, um, whereas let's pause right there in an independent fundamental Baptist. If you were doing exactly like you were raised, you wouldn't be allowed to go to that gym. Yeah, you shouldn't. Because I mean, some women there aren't dressed right or, you know, guys work out in shorts or it's just that's we reject that whole culture. So those people never hear about Jesus in their culture. Whereas you're taking a totally different model where you engage the culture, not embracing it and becoming just like you're engaging it and yes. shining a light yes. in that culture. And that is a totally different concept it, for Contextualization. People. Yeah. The, the gospel is not, the gospel message is never to be changed. Yeah. Okay, that is foundational. But the delivery method, contextualize it. Yeah. Contextualize it in a way that people will see Christ. Meet people where they are. Yes. And so, and through my, I teach English to adults as well. And one of the women is an engineer that I teach. Her and her husband and three children are coming over next week for dinner. Man. You know? That's incredible. Uh, but so just, this is the practical outflow. And when you don't subdivide, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And you realize, Holy Spirit, please just fill and inject yourself in every part of my life today so that whenever there's a door open, even the slightest bit to speak of the gospel, to speak of Christ, that I will bravely and boldly take that opportunity to uh, further your kingdom. Yeah. Um, you have to. Yeah, and that's it's the powerful. only way to live. Yeah. It's the best way to live. It is, and it's, it's totally different than what we grew up, than the training we had growing up. It, it, and it's not born out of obligation, man. No. You don't have to feel that obligation on Saturday morning. Well, here we go. Two hours of speaking to strand, strangers at their yeah. doorstep. Yeah. No, this is born out of a heart of love because you've been so radically changed by the gospel and you want somebody else to see it, to see the beauty of it and feel the rest that Christ can bring. That's why I'm talking about it. I, you know, and even talking on the podcast right now and, 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 and even promoting the podcast, some of my friends are like, well, dude, aren't you supposed to be focused on the ministry in Spain? It's like, bro, <laughs> The kingdom is more than just Spain. Yeah, it it's is. worldwide. And if there's an opportunity for me to, 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 to preach Christ in any platform, I want to take it. Yeah. I want to take it. 
Well, you're doing a great job of that, and I want to tell you that you've inspired me and a lot of people through the podcast to live out our faith and to uh, just explore what it means to serve Christ in our context. And being here with you in Malaga, Spain, is one of the absolute coolest things I've ever had (laughs) the chance to do. And this is the providence of God, that we move and experience things that we never could have planned out. But when I gave him my life years ago, I could trust him, and I knew that. I could trust him with my life, and he's led me to places that I never could have imagined. And honestly, this is cool. Like, I love this is cool traveling and meeting you. But honestly, I can't wait to get home to Trenton, Georgia, to the community that God has planted me in. And I can't wait to start continuing the ministry there that he's given me. And God's given me a lot of ideas, even through this conversation of -hmm. how we can impact our town. And I will say this, there are people at Hope Church in Trenton that are doing things like that already. They're engaging their culture. And I love that because when you can reach people on a level of where they live, rather than just screaming and yelling and preaching at them, Mm. uh, there is a time for confrontational evangelism. And I, God has gifted me in that area and I'm not afraid to engage people in a difficult way but I would much rather just engage in life on life and and share with people in a situation where you can truly influence them and uh, reach, you know, people in your community and the next generation. So Mike, thank you for this conversation. And it's awesome to hear more about what God's doing in your life and doing in your ministry and to see how he's connected us across the Atlantic ocean. And uh, one of the things I'm most excited about is there's this tradition you guys have here that I'm hoping to take and introduce to the states. Okay. It's called the siesta. Oh, that's a good one. Why don't you tell our listeners about the siesta? What What is this amazing, <laughs> magical thing that you guys have discovered? Siesta is the Spanish word for nap time. Mm. And it is, honestly, it is glorious. It's holy. It, it make, it, you know, it's... It, okay. Sabbath is holy. I'm not, I'm not joking when I say literally two weeks ago, I had two different neighbors come to me during siesta time and go... Mike, would you mind keeping it down? It was a Sunday when people were still at my house, right? And they're like, Mike, can you? It's 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 siesta. Can you mind, Mike? <laughs> you know, two different people, yeah, separately. Uh, so basically, after you have lunch, we eat lunch here around two p.m. between two and three p.m. That's a very typical time to have lunch. I love it. That's when I always eat. That's when I always well, get hungry. And right after lunch, most businesses will close their doors. Most businesses. Wow. They will literally shut down for about two hours until about four p.m because it's siesta time. Most people will come home from work for a couple hours to have lunch, sleep for about half an hour, then go back to work and finish their shift. And it is literally sacred. Man. Not everybody does it, but so many people do. And I'm, I just want to be culturally relevant. So, yes. I, I, hey, you're uh, engaging the culture. I'm, in, I'm I love engaging it, the man. culture, man. So do you sleep the whole two hours or was it more like a power nap? Mine's or? more like a power nap. Okay. Just a solid 15 on the couch Dude, while my... That can change yeah. your life. It is It is great, you know. Well, coming to you live from Malaga, Spain on the <laughs> coast of the Mediterranean. And this view is unbelievable. Like I said, I'm going to post some pictures We just want to speak some life, and wherever you're at around the world, we want you to think out your faith, live out your faith, and if you don't get anything else from the podcast today, we want you to go and take a siesta and (laughs) be blessed. Yeah, yeah, be blessed, and maybe even uh, my monotone voice might help you just drift off into La La Land. Dude, you've got a really good voice. I've been like amazed at it. I'm thinking I need a little bit more inflection, so you you did a great job. You're too kind. You're too kind. All right, well, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you for joining us. Peace. All right, adios. 
This has been an RFP Extra. Check back next week for a full Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Join us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Visit our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. T-shirts available now.